Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be going over a podcast that uh, I found. It's kind of interesting. I mean, have you ever sat on your couch and you just kind of thought to yourself, you know who I need to tell me about open theism? Two complete tool bags who have never interacted with an open theist in their life, throwing out every single straw man argument that you could ever think of without considering the views of open theists, without engaging open theists, without trying to represent open theists realistically. Let's listen to that podcast. You know, this is your treat. If, if that's the thing you are missing in your life, two complete tool bags talking about open theism, here you go. Part one. So we're going to be proposing this question. Can open theism be properly considered to be Arminian or not? Yeah, when I think about Arminian theology, I think about theology that's open, relational, that God responds and interacts. And any theology that kind of fits those broad guidelines, I would say is an Arminian theology. Regardless whether or not they agree with everything Jacob Arminianus believed, that, that's irrelevant What's the core issues? Are these people going to go over the core issues, then decide if open theism fits, or are they going to go off on nonsense tangents? Let's hear. Does it really fit under the umbrella of Arminian theology, or is it alien to the thought of Arminius, and would Jacob Arminius himself reject open theism? That's really the question we're going to be looking at. I'm sure John Calvin would reject a lot of modern-day Calvinists, but that's cute. Get, keep moving. It's a good question. But before we go diving into those questions, we need to define what open theism actually is. So, Ben, could you define what open theism is just so our listeners are informed uh, before we move forward here? Absolutely. And now uh, we're going to use a definition we found on Theopedia. Theopedia, a hostile, hostile website. It, they don't like open theism on Theopedia. And do, are they going to accurately represent open theism? Are they going to accurately represent how open theists define open theism? Or is it going to be a hostile definition that these guys are using to represent open theism? Great. Uh, here's a tip, guys, uh, your remonstrance podcast. Go to Wikipedia. Great definition. Great definition. Open theism is a reaction to a synthesis of Greek Greek Platonic ideas into the Christian church. For open theism, they give a very uh, informative and robust definition. Uh, open theism, also called free will theism and openness theology, is the belief... You guys remember when Norman Geisler tried to start labeling open theists as neo-theists? Uh, that's pretty funny. That never caught on, and that was just a failed thing on his part that God does not exercise meticulous control of the universe, but leaves it open, in quotations, for humans to make significant choices, free will, that impact their relationships with God and others. A corollary of this is that God has not predetermined the future. Open theists further believe that this would imply that God does not know the future exhaustively, Okay, God predetermines to do some things. I predetermined to do some stuff. I predetermined to record this podcast. I know magic, right? I must be omniscient of all future events. All right, the definition there could use a little bit of work, and uh, it could stop trying to hijack words into weird meanings that are only accessible to theologians like predestined. Oh, what, what, what does that mean? Decide something in advance predetermined, decide something in advance. They're not mystical terms. It's not like, oh, I can't predestine things in my own life. I can do that. I have that power. So open theists do think God predestined some things. It's fine. It, it's, it's no system shock to our theology. Let's get moving now. Proponents affirm that God is omniscient, but deny that this means that God knows everything that will happen. So just pausing and, and looking at this definition from Theopedia. From a hostile website. Okay. Here, I mean, there are a couple, I shouldn't say a couple. There's one thing. One thing. One thing that we could 
appreciate. Yeah. That open theists are for humans to make significant choices that impact their relationship with God and others. Uh, isn't that the definition of Arminian theology? So just based off of that, I would say your question is answered. You need not look any further. Others. Yeah. Um, as a Wesleyan Arminian, I, I do believe that humans make significant choices that impact their relationship with God and others. I do believe that humans are given the gift of libertarian freedom and that they can make these choices. But the rest of these things, I absolutely and strongly oppose. Yeah. Um, I d On biblical grounds? That's weird because almost every ancient scholar who's not an evangelical trying to push a narrative agrees with open theists. I do believe that God has meticulous control of the universe. He does exercise meticulous control of the universe. Uh, I, further, I, I, as a Wesleyan Arminian, I believe that God does know the future exhaustively, and God knows everything that will happen. So yeah. out of that whole definition, the only thing that, as a Wesleyan Arminian, I could appreciate is that humans do make significant choices that impact their relationship with God and others, but the entirety of the rest of the definition I, I disagree with. Yeah, I kind of struggle with that last sentence there. It's like a massive... Uh, I always find it funny when people disagree with definitions. Like I tried to tell someone a story once and they said, I already disagree. I I'm telling a story. You can't disagree with a story. Can't disagree with a definition. You could disagree with the sentiments in the definition, certain aspects of open theist theology. But again, this is a hostile definition from a hostile website. Uh, contradiction. Yes. They, they affirm that God is omniscient, but deny that this means that God knows everything that will happen. Oh, and then everyone who's listening, make a prediction. Do these guys understand what open theists say about that? Or are they going to build the most ridiculous straw men that would be shot down by any basic fundamental interaction with any, even a simple open theist who's not like well-versed, even they could shoot down. Have those people inter interacted with any open theists to understand the open theist take on this? Well, let, let's hear them out. It's kind of contradictory. It is. I mean, how could God be omniscient but not know everything that will happen? Well, okay. Have you asked that question to an open theist? Yeah, right. I mean, that, that sentence itself implies a completely different meaning of omniscience. So I would wonder what... <laughs> Does it... Does it? Who have you been talking to? Okay, let's take like the Gregory Boyd position where God knows everything. And the only things you can know are things with basis in reality. Like, I don't know what a square circle looks like because that's not a thing. Those combinations of words don't represent a fact that exists, right? And so the future does not exist. There's nothing to be known. And so if God knows all facts possible he doesn't know the future those are not things right uh, this this is his basic open theism 101 i'm not saying i agree with this definition i think that god has the power not to know things that he doesn't want to know so i think god is more powerful than what these guys come up with their their god is weak in a box and confined by fate but no my god that I worship, Yahweh, he could do new stuff. He could come up with new things. Their God is stuck in fate. And listen to how they define omniscience. They've never interacted with open theists. They have not. Open theists will tell you what I just said. Yeah, God knows everything that can be known. Things in the future don't exist to be known. Very simple. That's how God can know everything and yet not know the future. The future's not a thing, dude. What their definition would sound like or look like or you know what they think an omniscient God actually is. Right. It's not all-knowing. Right. I mean, it's definitely not the classic theistic understanding of what omniscience is. No. <laughs> there is a book, The All-Knowing God, and guess what? Throughout all of human history, how many religions have identified an all-knowing God in the way that these guys are telling us that God has to know every single event 
uh, for eternity into the future to be all-knowing. I like zero. I got the book. It covers a wide berth of cultures. It covers ancient Israel. And guess what the author concludes? Ancient Israel, Yahweh, was not omniscient in that he knew the future. He is omniscient in the same way that all these other gods are and all these different other cultures where he has observance over present events as they unfold. That's the normal understanding of an all-knowing God throughout human history. But along comes Plato, and Plato comes up with these ideas of God being pure simplicity, pure actuality. And then they, omniscience has to take a new meaning. And it's not at this passive knowledge where the knowledge is flowing to God. It has to be an active knowledge because if it's passive, then God is changing. So these guys, these tool bags are redefining omniscience to something completely foreign to the Bible. Whereas in the Bible, it says that God watches, God looks down from heaven and watches the actions of the good and the bad. God's eyes are on the good and the wicked. These, these very observant type of verses, they take that, they throw it out the window. Let's throw the Bible in the trash is what these guys say. And let's replace that with an act of omniscience in which God is perfectly unchangeable for all of eternity and his knowledge never changes. And it's not knowledge that he receives because that would defy certain aspects of his uh, incommunicable attributes, such as self-existence and acity and all this nonsense. These guys are coming up with this new definition. This is not what ancient Israel believed. It is very clear when you read the Bible what ancient Israel uh, believed. And guess what? All the ancient biblical scholars who are not evangelicals agree with open theists. They all do. Well, let's go on. It's something other than that. No. Um, looking around online before recording, I found a really good article by Tim Challies. Um, we'll put a link to where you can read this for yourself. Hey, let's do a podcast on open theism. Okay, do you know anything about open theism? Well, absolutely not. Let's just do some little Googling and not interact with open theists. Brilliant. Self on the show notes. And he, he defines open theism. Obviously, he's coming from a reformed perspective. Here's another hostile witness. Hostile. Oh, I, I'm sure he's not going to build straw man. I am sure that's not going to happen. But I really appreciate his insight on this. Um, yeah. Charlie's writes, open theism is a relatively new doctrine that has only gained popular prominence since 1994 with the release of the book, The Openness of God, which was written by five evangelical scholars and edited by Clark Pinnock. Oh, you call them evangelical. I'm surprised you do that. What began on the fringes of scholarship has quickly gained pop a popular following, in part because of the publication of entry-level titles such as Gregory Boyd's God of the Possible, and in part because of the acceptance of the doctrine by various popular authors. While many evangelicals do not embrace this doctrine themselves, they may regard it as an optional doctrine that remains within the pale of orthodox evangelicalism. So I thought that was a good little historical introduction there. Yeah. So it's relatively new. Um, Charlie's is saying basically since, since 1994 um, with the release of the book, The Openness. Relatively new. The entire world before Plato believed it. The entire world. Which culture? Which culture believed in this weird definition of omniscience which extended into future eternity? You're not going to find it in the Bible. You're definitely not going to find it in the Bible. You're not going to find it in any other culture. So let me let me give you a little hint. This doctrine of omniscience that open theists believe is the default world position since time eternal, since time since man since man began. And guess what? We find it in the Bible, all over. They they write how God knows what He knows. Do you pay attention to that? Do, do you care? Do you care about what the Bible says? ...of God, which was edited by Clark Pinnock, um, who we're going to return to later. That's really where um, the genesis of open theism is. Right. Um, although I would, I would argue, though, that open theism was around earlier than that. Yeah, I would, too, since Adam. We'll get to this later on in our conversation. Yeah, Adam's in the garden, and he's like, I'm going to hide from God. 
Uh, because why is he going to hide from God? Because he doesn't think that God knows where he's at. And so he's trying to hide his deeds. Guess what? Adam didn't have this view of omniscience. He didn't have any view of omniscience of God, really, when it comes down to it. But yeah, this 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 omniscience that these guys are pressing is doesn't have historicity to it. You you find the origins in Plato. You find it in Plotinus, and you find it implemented into the church through Augustine and Origen and uh, Justin Martyr. People with Platonist backgrounds, Platonist backgrounds. Right. Um, if you look even back to the Dutch theologian Conrad Vorstius, you see... Yeah, I don't know who that is. I'll have to look him up. ...traces of open theism in his thought. Interestingly enough, he was supposed to be the successor. And there's a timeline of open theism that's put out by uh, Greg Boyd and company, and it has a lot of earlier references you know, McCabe is definitely on the list, and they don't seem to mention McCabe. They don't understand who he is. But uh, these guys could use some education. To Arminius at the University of Leiden. Right. Um, but his appointment was not accepted by um, the university because of such opposition against some of his views, which were basically open theist. Oh. Um, and also... Um, We'll return. We, we've spoken about him in previous episodes, but Faustus Socinius, the founder of Socinian... What? 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 Okay. Socinianism, which is an anti-Trinitarian heresy. Uh, Faustus Socinius... Oh, he's an anti-Trinitarian. Okay, let's listen to these guys' argument. Socinius was also an open theist. So historically, you can essentially trace open theism back to... Um, Vorstius and Socinian. You could trace it back. There's modern day open theists that say, hey, these guys are who I get my theology from. And you have a progression that you could trace back. Ah, oh, these guys who are doing this podcast. Very, very smart people. Very intelligent. No. But yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about well, who did John Calvin kill? Servetus. And what was Servetus's ideas about the Trinity? This is why John Calvin killed him, right? Because he didn't believe in the Trinity. And uh, why Why was it? Ha has anyone ever read Servetus' writings? It's because he believed in Platonism, right? Platonism had the different hypostases, and God is pure actuality, and uh, he's pure unity, and he has no parts, and pure simplicity. And so how do you have a Trinity with a God who is pure simplicity and pure unity? And so this guy was logically consistent, and uh, he, he believed in the foreknowledge that these guys believe in, and he was a complete anti-Trinitarian on the grounds that of these people's logic, the people doing the podcast, he follows their theology and takes it to the logical conclusion that the Trinity is a bunk doctrine, right? And so guess what? You guys have heretics in your tradition in your in your worldview and so pointing to a heretic or whatever with open theist beliefs and trying to equate the heresy with the open theism and saying they're linked absolute nonsense and guess what there are smarter heretics than you people who believe what you believe and more logically consistent than you yes in the 17th century and um, you're not in good company. Right. Um, Socinius. You're not in good company. You're with Servetus, dude. You're a Servetus. So what, what, what is this guy doing here? He's trying to poison the well. And he's saying, look at this heretic or whatever uh, from history. And he's a bad guy, right? So guess what? He had some open theist beliefs, right? So argh, open theism. There's a bad guy who I don't like. Hitler is probably an open theist. Argh. This is not rational talking. These people, they don't think through their arguments, do they? Most heretics, most Gnostics throughout history have followed these guys' ideas of omniscience in which omniscience is this future knowledge of all things because the Gnostics were deep into Platonism. Deep into Platonism. If, if you're promoting the ideas of, of Vorstius and Socinius, you're, you're not in good company. <laughs> 
What? Okay, are you promoting the ideas of Gnostics? You are. Uh, you absolutely are promoting the ideas of Gnostics with a lot of your theology. And so you're not in good company either. This poisoning the well stuff, uh, it's a double-edged sword, and it could be used just as well against you. It's not a rational argument. It's basically an ad hominem argument. And people don't understand usually what ad hominem means. It means you're discrediting an argument based on who says the argument without looking at the merits of the argument itself. So just saying, this is in bad company. Oh, Hitler loved government, and so government's evil in all forms. You see, that's an ad hominem fallacy, ad Hitler fallacy as well. Same, same thing when you throw Hitler in, it kind of shifts the name to something more recognizable. But ad hominem is discrediting a belief just because of who says the belief. A completely bogus line of reasoning. And when he says it can be traced back to these people, it cannot be traced back to these people. No modern open theist says, oh, I love this guy back. No, no one does it. But all these reformed people, these uh, Armenians, they, they love Augustine. They do. And, and guess what? He's a self-admitted Platonist. He says, I read the Bible, and the Bible is absurd. And so I, I took it, I threw it in the trash, and then I just decided to interpret it in light of Plotinus, right? Because uh, Platonism, that's the closest thing to truth ever. Except for the one thing Platonism is lacking is charity, uh, is love. And so that's where Jesus comes in. And that's why I could accept being a Christian because that that's, it gives one more element to Platonism. Otherwise, Platonism would be the way to go. That's who these people, this is their succession that is directly traceable to their beliefs. But no, no open theist today says, oh, let's, let's go back and look at these. It doesn't, no, it's mm, this complete fallacy. These guys don't know what they're talking about. Uh, they're making irrational arguments. Company, that's just not a good historical um, precedent there. Because, uh, I mean, Socinius was an anti-Trinitarian heretic yeah. um, who also adhered to um, open theism in his understanding of God. Yep, so was Servetus, so... Good luck with that. Uh, great that you're in his company. God. Yeah, no, those wouldn't be the first two guys I'd pick to have, like, discussion about theology with over coffee. <laughs> okay, well, how about Servetus? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, if Open Theism wrote a resume, um, the names at the top would be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Faustus, um, Socinius, yeah. and um, Conrad Vorstius. Yeah, which would probably be better than Plato and Plotinus. And uh, guess what? Most biblical authors, all of the biblical authors, are open theists. And you can just look to the Bible to see open theism everywhere. And secular scholarship agrees with open theists. But yeah, let's, let's take the Bible and we'll just ignore the Bible. And we'll, we'll try to make poisoning the well arguments. We'll make ad hominem attacks. And then we'll pretend we have a smart podcast. Ooh. Not good names. No. You want to get the job. No. Right, and now... Yeah, I'll clarify real quick on the ad hominem. When I call these people tool bags, that's, that might be an ad hominem attack against them, but it's not an ad hominem fallacy, right? A fallacy is where I say, these guys are tool bags, so don't listen to their arguments. It's not what I'm doing. I'm saying, these guys are tool bags, let's listen to their arguments, and let's refute their arguments. You know, one quick thing I kind of pick up on reading this quote from Charlie's is his point he makes at the bottom that people regard open theism as an optional doctrine that is within the pale of orthodox evangelicalism and again like you know you, mm. you struggle with the terminology that he's defining people using yes because how do you how do you disregard or like redefine essentially what classical omniscience you know classically omniscience means oh classical greek omniscience great that's what we want. We, we like Platonism. Right. But then say you're within the pale of orthodox evangelicalism. That's a really loose way. The way that open theism, modern philosophically based open theists, redefine omniscience is changing it from an act of omniscience to a passive omniscience. If, if that makes sense to people listening, that's how it's being redefined. But that's never what's uh, focused on by people like this. Instead, they want to talk about the scope of knowledge. Their actual issue, when, it, when you get down to the nuts and bolts, is that God is gaining new information in any way. Because that defies 
what they think are core attributes. If omniscience uh, is linked to immutability, is linked to pure actuality, then there should be like no gain in that. So what they want is an act of omniscience rather than a passive omniscience. They're not making that argument. Instead, they're building a straw man, uh, trying to pretend that their issues with the open theist redefinition of omniscience is something other than what it actually is. Of using that terminology. Right. Um, but I guess people just make orthodox whatever they want to make orthodox. and That's a good point. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to see it? later in the episode how um, probably our favorite modern theologian, uh, Thomas C. Oden, actually came out in Christianity Today and said that open theism was heresy. <laughs> that guy's an idiot. Have you read his article? And he actually uses the word heresy. Right. So we'll, we'll read that later in the episode. But Thomas Oden would not say that open theism remains within the pale of orthodox evangelicalism. No. Um, and that he's, he's a source that we, we trust here mm-hmm. on Remonstrance. Oh, you trust him. Okay. So maybe next we can take a look at what Chalice gives in a list here of the defining characteristics of open theism. He has eight different points uh, that he goes over here. Okay, so your, your podcast is on open theism, and you turn to hostile sources, and you just parrot them. Uh, no original work, no interaction with open theists. It's just parroting other people who have built their own straw men. Uh, this is is this supposed to be an intellectual podcast is this uh, what's going on here but the first one he says is god's greatest attribute is love and again this is open theism characterized in particular ways number one god's greatest attribute is love god's love so overshadows his other characteristics that he could never allow or condone evil or suffering to befall mankind hmm obviously which open theist believes that? Maybe maybe Thomas J. Ord? I don't know anyone else who would put like... They might put like a half thumbs up rather than a full thumbs up. Eh, you might need a little work on that one. Obviously, one of the attributes of God is love. Right. But here, open theism is literally falling into the same problem that we can even say Calvinism falls into because Calvinism emphasizes God's greatest attribute in a way as his sovereignty. Right. Where this is almost the complete opposite where they're saying God's greatest attribute is love. Right. Certain open theists. Okay. You take someone who's serious, a serious theologian like Walter Brueggemann, and he has his book, Theology of the Old Testament. Brueggemann's an open theist. Uh, he does not emphasize love. I don't emphasize love. I don't think it's overriding attribute so there's there's serious people i'm not necessarily calling myself like a serious theologian but serious theologians like walter brueggemann are open theists and they're the premier scholars on the bible in existence and they don't emphasize this love so a kind of a straw man it might might fit somewhere to some people but not necessarily all people right but when we look at god we have to look at all of the different attributes of god we can't just emphasize one attrib- attribute to the detriment of all the other ones. Right. So you get a bunch of attributes, you write them down on a paper, and you throw them in a pot, and you stir them around, and you're like, you got to give all these attributes, and they're all great, and then so I'll just kind of mush them together, and some take pro- – I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Read the Bible. Uh, people have personalities, right? And so they change, and they interact, and – and when God is talking to people, like he's talking to Moses, and he says, let's go to Egypt. And Moses is like, I don't want to. And God's like, "Go to seriously, go to Egypt. I will help you. He's like, oh, I don't want to do it. And God gets mad at him. And uh, like Moses keeps throwing up all these objections. I, you know, it's dangerous. I don't know your name, whatever. And God's like, go to Egypt. God gets mad. God gets mad. He's very mad. He's burning in wrath. And when Abraham's interacting with God, and, and he's testing God's patience, right? And he's like, well, how about uh, like 50 people? Will he destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And then he's like, okay, please don't be mad at me. Uh, but let's try this other. How about 40 people? If there's 40 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, 
then he's like, oh, please don't get mad at me. Uh, what about 30 people? He's testing God's patience. He doesn't believe that God has uh, total omniscience of all future events. Uh, Abraham didn't. Uh, that, that's why he kept lowering the number. This, this, was, this was him negotiating with God. And God invited him to do it by inviting him into his council. Because he knew that Abraham would teach his children to obey Yahweh. Which sort of kind of came true, sort of didn't. You know, just read the historical evidence. So God is a person. And it's not like you take all these attributes and you kind of just like, these are all immutable attributes and this plus this and 30% of this. And I don't know, people change. People interact. God has times where he's vengeful and he says, I'm going to burn in wrath. And he has times when he burns in, in love and he, he burns with mercy. And he, he shows mercy when he shouldn't. And he shows mercy for his own name's sake sometimes. That, that's how people work, not this weird pot of attributes. Right. So God is sovereign. Yes, I agree with that, but not to the extent that he is fatalistically determining everything that comes to pass right. in the universe. Right. And I do believe that God is love. Right. But I don't believe that God's love overshadows his other characteristics, right. such as his sovereignty, such as his holiness, right. such as his omnipotence, right. and so on and so forth. Right. Well, I think I pick up again, you know, on the, on the key word he uses here is that he says, he says God can never allow or condone evil or suffering to befall mankind. But does God allow evil? Yes, but so that he can bring a greater good. Amen. But if you're limiting God to this, you know, kind of, you know, limited knowledge that open theists would say he has in regards to the future, not even limited, but like, you know, empty, he does not know what's going to happen, then you, you know, you're going to come down to terminology saying. All right, let's look up this Tim Chalice guy and see who the heck this is. All right, um, it looks like there's a Lion Gator Ministries type thing. Definitely not an open theist. He sounds like he's hostile to open theism. They're just reading a hostile argue, argument against open theism. A hostile framing of open theism. Oh, it's a little bit of competency in a podcast is not much to ask. That he can't, he, he can't allow such a thing to take place, right? Because he doesn't have control over what's happening. But you're essentially taking like a whole aspect of, you know, of the world and like pulling it out of God's control, right? And you're limiting, you know, they they are stripping God of His sovereignty and saying that, right? And it also throws out the greater good theodicy, right? Which, as Western Arminians, we hold to because utilitarianism—that's what you hold to. Is stripping God of his sovereignty? Okay, really? What 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 is your understanding of sovereignty? It's it's not a, a normal definition of sovereignty that you could look up in the dictionary, right? Are you are you adhering to this Calvinist redefinition of normal words? Maybe you're looking for a different word. Maybe you're looking for something like uh, Big Brother Spy Network Government Sovereignty. That, is that what you're looking for? Both Arminius and Wesley held to the greater good theodicy that God does not allow a temporary evil without making way for greater good. And there's a lot of scriptural support for that. Right. And there's a lot of scriptural support for that. All things work together for the good of those who love God. What that's talking about is the end result, what's going to happen, that people's pain is going to be justified. It's, there's going to be a reconciliation. It's not saying that everything's working together to it's like there's my kid gets cancer and that's like god's plan to teach someone something or or that gives some greater glory what how about how about no cancer Let, let's start with that how is that better than cancer you giving children cancer killing kids with bone cancer great it's some utilitarian weird theology that these guys are adhering to is that the core of arminian theology is is open theism going to be dis 
counted as not being Arminianism because we don't hold to utilitarian ethics. What are we talking about here? And, you know, an open theist would just throw all that completely out. Right. And just say, no, God doesn't have control. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they would say. They say, well, God has zero control. Uh, you know, no control. A zero. Uh, uh, that's what we do. Try a tip for these podcast guys. Try interacting with open theists. If you're going to do a podcast on open theism, find an open theist and talk to them for like 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Most of your challenges, your issues could be cleared up. 10 minutes. Interaction. Any open theist. That's pretty scary. It is. Well, and and I think he... (laughs) Oh, I'm so scared. He talks about it in one of these further points, but to to make God this this reactive being. (laughs) What? What? Have you read the Bible? God reacts. God reacts. Oh, man. It's... That's the whole story of the Bible. And God says, you know what? So uh, Israel, they keep getting wicked. And so I raise them up a judge and deliver them because uh, I hear their groaning. And uh, then I give them mercy. I raise up a judge. And uh, they're, they're good for a bit. But then they become more wicked than even before. He says, I am sick of doing this. I, I'm frustrated with this. And no more. No more am I going to save these guys. These guys are on their own. And guess what? They keep, God God shows mercy. God again shows mercy. God goes back on what he said before because his sense of mercy and his uh, being petitioned by his own people uh, gets to him, right? So God is responsive. The entire biblical story is God responding. The entire Psalms is filled with prayers. God, hear my prayer. Turn your face. Why are you hiding your face from me? Uh, why do the wicked prosper, Lord? Come fix this wrong. These people, their petitionary prayers uh, throughout the entire book of Psalms is petitions for God to respond because they believe in a responsive God. They don't believe in a non-responsive God. So would any of these Arminians, would they pray these prayers in Psalms if they, if they held to consistent theology? I don't think these people do. These, these, these podcaster guys, they don't hold to a consistent theology. And if they did, they wouldn't be able to pray any of those petitionary prayers in Psalms. Right. I mean, how can you really label him as God in that point? Mm-hmm. Oh, wh- what? Okay, okay, so now God has to have a specific definition. And if he doesn't meet that definition, he's not God. Okay, then what is he? Okay, uh, the creator of the universe doesn't have your preferred attribute or whatever. He's not God anymore. The creator of the universe, the creator of all that exists. Brilliant. These guys are th- thinking in Platonistic understandings. If God doesn't fit this uh, perfect, uh, pure actuality, pure simplicity, then he's not God. God, in order to be God, has to have these ideas that must exist no matter what. And we're not open to any other possibilities whatsoever. Platonism. Because he's no different than me or you. Right. No different than me and you. Okay, so uh, Ben Stein knows a lot more than I do. Like you watch Ben win Ben Stein's money, and he knows all these answers to this crazy stuff that I never could know, right? And I consider myself kind of a smart guy. Uh, God is just like me and Ben Stein, really, really. Ben Stein's not even like me. He's smarter than I am. He knows a lot more than I do. And so, how much more does God know? And if, especially if God knows everything that exists. You know, that's that's pretty dang smart, way smarter than me and Ben Stein. And he's not just like me and him, right? And if God has power on top of that to do stuff, to flood the world, to create the universe, things like that, how is that just the same in UMI? Straw men arguments by people who have never interacted with open theists. And the fact that he doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. so he. Oh, I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to go to work tomorrow. Oh, oh, I must be omniscient. Oh, he's just kind of approaching things very gingerly and waiting to see how he's going to react to those things. <laughs> read the Bible. Just just read the Bible. It, it talks about God's thought process in the Bible. 
what God thinks about before and after he does certain actions, how sometimes his patience is tried, and sometimes he, he, his patience uh, per perseveres, but sometimes it doesn't. And God says, how long are these people going to, you know, perturb me? How long are they going to be in rebellion from me? And sometimes he's angry and he, he conjures up destruction against Israel. He's like, I am going to destroy all these people, Moses. And I'm just going to make from you a new people, right? And Moses is like, don't do that. You know, okay, I know you said you're going to do that, but I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not an Arminian who thinks that God knows all the future exhaustively. I'm an open theist who believes that I could change God's mind. And even though God says that he's going to do something, uh, God believes that he's going to do that. Uh, God might not do that if I petition him. And that's exactly what Moses does. He intercedes. God doesn't destroy Israel, even though God was planning to do that and then do that. But sometimes God does follow through. He says, I'm going to send you into exile, Israel. And then he falls throughs and does that. But within the meantime, guess what? Israel, they repented for a while and uh, they, were, they were given a stay of execution, right? So things change and God has plans and God tells us those plans, what he's thinking and how he thinks it. And this is not guesswork. This is not rocket science. All you have to do is read the Bible. And these guys have not opened a Bible yet so far in this podcast. 14 minutes, 14 and a half minutes in, uh, zero Bible. It's all philosophy. It's all straw man quoting. It's just parroting an article they read online. Interact with some open theists. That should be the material for your podcast and not straw man arguments by stupid people who don't care about representing open theism actual accurately things mm -hmm. you know that's it it doesn't it doesn't make sense with the classical orthodox teaching you know understanding of who god is of, of what make you know of what makes defines god as god amen but let's take a look at the second one second uh, defining characteristic of open theism from a hostile witness okay let's hear it man has libertarian free will so we agree with that right but Man's will has not been so affected by the fall that he is unable to make a choice to follow God. Yikes. Uh, yeah, whoa. God respects man's freedom of choice and will not infringe upon it. But that second sentence. Right, yeah, that's Pelagian. Yeah. Okay, yeah, there, there are some Pelagian open theists. And really, uh, they're called, Pelagius is called a heretic. Why? Because a bunch of... A third, fourth century people got together and called them heretics. Okay. I don't find Pelagian, semi-Pelagianism heretical. There's no, it, it wasn't addressed by Jesus and the disciples. It was addressed by a very politicized and Platonistic uh, council against them, uh, Augustine. And, you know, it's, okay, they're not, they're not heretics and uh, ad hominem attacks don't really work. And there's a lot of open theists who aren't Pelagians or semi-Pelagians who believe this stuff. And so it's a mixed bag. Just, just like in any normal theological setting, there are some beliefs that have nothing to do with open theism that open theists will fall on either side. And Pelagianism, non-Pelagianism, I don't know. What, what is it? Total depravity. The two sides. There's open theists on either side. This kind of straw man. These guys have never interacted with open theists. So, I mean, you're basically advocating for Pelagianism there because oh. man's will has been. Oh, so scary. Oh, oh, why is that bad? And so affected by the fall that he is unable to make a choice to follow God. And that's why there's the necessity of uh, prevenient grace. Right. Where is where is this stuff in the Bible? Okay, so they, they, they're like... All right, none of this is in the Bible until Paul. And then Paul comes onto the scene and he just tells us all these things that were never before explained to anyone in Israel, right? Uh, that one guy, and uh, guess what? All his quotes are arguably taken out of context, right? There's, there's two sides to Pauline arguments that they're ignoring. And they're just pretending that this, you know, total depravity stuff is, is just all in Paul. Right. And that just overrides all other witness throughout the entire Bible, throughout all of Israel's history. 
where is this? Where God is legitimately saying, I've done everything I can to reach you guys. You guys have not responded. What gives? What gives? I expected you guys to turn to me. Is it... So you can see how the questioning of classical theism in terms of the understanding of God also opens the door to other heretical views, yeah. such as... Most heretics throughout history have had your views, your views about omniscience. And so maybe that's something you want to deal with, why all the heretics believe the same things you guys do. Uh, but I'll, I'll hold my breath on you guys responding to that. As Pelagianism. Right. Right. And we'll talk more about this later. Okay. Brilliant. Right, well, we'll jump to number three. God. The third point in this uh, hostile representation of open theism. Okay, let's let's go. Let's let's hear you guys parrot some more stuff. God does not have exhaustive knowledge of the future. Okay. Hmm. Indeed, he cannot know certain future of uh, This should be like one out of one. Yeah, that's that's basically what most open theists would define open theism as. And Wikipedia has a better definition, which is open theism is a re reaction to platonistic or, or Greek ideas that have uh, been infiltrating the church yeah, that's a good definition but most open theists would say this is just the core issue and open theists fall all over the spectrum all these other doctrines it doesn't matter some are uh, faith alone some are works faith i don't people don't like that term but i use it it's it's accurate and it communicates something but open theists fall all over the spectrum on all these other things and the one thing that they agree on is that God doesn't have exhaustive dollars for the future. This should be one out of one. Events because the future exists only as possibility. God is unable to see what depends on the choices of free will agents simply because this future does not yet exist, so it is unknowable. In this way, open theists attempt to reconcile... Wow, maybe if you guys skipped to this part before... Uh going over your first objection you guys could have educated yourself before making unwarranted criticisms of open theism right style this doctrine with god's omniscience so that's their definition of omniscience god is omniscient up until the point that things actually exist outside so, of that it's unknowable <laughs> oh t open theists don't think that god doesn't know things that don't exist oh, oh that's so bad that's that's totally different than what these guys believe these guys believe that god knows things that both do and don't exist what what are you what are you talking about so basically god is about as omniscient as we are yeah pretty much yeah okay brilliant brilliant we've already covered that no ben stein knows a lot more than i do and god of course knows a lot more than ben stein does so it's not as omniscient as me and ben stein right Right? Stop it. Stop it. You guys should get out of this podcast business or seriously reconsider your representations of things you don't agree with. Try interacting. Interact with people you don't agree with. Try it once. Try it once. Watch. Because I, I know exactly what's happening up until this second, but in the next minute, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, within the next minute, I'm going to continue going over your guys' podcasts, and then mocking you. Boo, boo, I must be omniscient. Wow. Uh wow. See, I just mocked him. See, I was omniscient. I knew the future before it existed. Oh, no. Uh, anyways, okay. So these guys want this knowledge definition. We've talked about this on this podcast. They want a Platonistic idea of what knowledge is. Well, when normal people talk about knowledge, I know I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I know that I'm going to go travel, you know. I know that uh, my wife would get mad at me if I insulted her weight, you know. something. She's not fat. It's just fun to do sometimes, you know. You just rile up your wife. That's what I do sometimes. But and I know these things about the future because that's our normal understanding of what knowledge is. But these guys are adhering to a Platonistic definition of knowledge in which knowledge has to be like this active knowledge in which there's uh, objects that actually exist that this knowledge can 
be correlated to, you know, like my cat exists. I know my cat exists. That knowledge is of something that exists. And they, they want that type of knowledge, but not the normal type of knowledge that we all, all talk about. Like I know, like before Trump was elected, I knew Trump was going to get elected. Right. Does that make that doesn't people can have knowledge of the future. It just it's just our normal understanding, even though there's no object against that knowledge. But that's fine. Roll with your Platonism uh, if that's what you guys want to do. No comment on that one. No, I think that one kind of renders itself. Yeah, I just mocked you guys, by the way. So I'm omniscient. I know the future. And uh, I must be pure actuality perfection. But it is, so. Right. Number four. God takes risks. Oh, oh, oh no. Risks. Oh, ah. We can't. A moralistic fallacy is uh, refusing to believe something because of uh, things that you think are bad, right? Or there's also the fallacy of argument from adverse consequences. If that was true, then this then if God didn't know the future, uh, then that's risky. Fallacy of logic. Fallacy of logic. This is just emotional jabber that these guys are adhered to. So not only do they, they read a hostile witness, but they just parrot this emotional, just emotional emoting. Like, oh, risks. Oh, I'm so scared of risks. Okay. Because yeah, the existence of risk in the future and with God, and look at the Bible. God takes all sorts of risks, and some of them don't pay off, right? And God says, I regret that I made Saul the king. He's not regretting that Saul became bad or whatever. He's regretting his own actions in making Saul king. I regret that I've made man on earth. He took a risk and then regretted what he had done. Risks, right? Read the Bible. Pick up the Bible. And re- you haven't touched the Bible at all. Uh, you just made emotional arguments, strawman arguments. Read the Bible. Because God cannot know the future, he takes risks in many ways. Creating people, giving them gifts and abilities. And yeah, he created people, and how did that turn out? And so on. Where possibilities exist, so does risk. Yeah. Well, what about all the verses John the Baptist being called... What John the Baptist? That refutes everything. Oh, that wasn't a. God calls Moses, right? And Moses, like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And God has to force him into it. God calls Jonah. Jonah's like, What? I'm gonna run over here this way. And I'm gonna jump on this boat and try to go to somewhere else. And God's like, I have to get this uh, big fish to swallow you, to throw you where I need you to go. Because you're trying to evade me. So sometimes his colleagues don't quite work out. And guess what? God called Eli and his sons to be an eternal priesthood. He said, I promise uh, I'll give your house, uh, you a house forever. But now I say, because Eli's sons, they turned out wicked, right? And God says, well, you know, I told you guys you'd have this eternal priesthood. Uh, but never mind. You guys are bad people. I'm changing it to a conditional promise. If you guys are good, then I'll give you that. It's a change. It's a change because he took her. It wasn't even a risk. He thought that these guys would continue to be good. And he didn't think that it'd have to come to this. But that he had to change his express statement to them because they had become so wicked that he couldn't endure them anymore. Right? Before he was born. Right. Jeremiah being. Yeah, read the Bible, read the Bible. It's not all of God's callings work out. God called Israel and they died in unbelief in the wilderness. So not all of God. Paul, he writes, Israel, they are beloved as an elect, but they are enemies of the gospel. God's called are enemies of the gospel. Oh, oh, but Jeremiah, that refutes open theism somehow. What? Being called before he was born, Paul being sanctified. I think we're missing a step in your logic here, dude. For his service to the yeah to the for the gospel before he was born, it's just I, yeah before he's born, okay. 
Is that is that mean it's a, I don't it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because you guys aren't thinking. Oh, you're not thinking. I could call people before they're born to do stuff. And uh, guess what? Sometimes God has trouble getting his called people to do what they're called to do. Uh, many are called, few are chosen. Right? Right? Do you, do you know that verse? Um, many are called, few are chosen? Because not everyone who's called responds. No. Well, again, like they're, 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 these are difficult concepts. You know, having a, even just a basic understanding. No, it's actually pretty simple pretty simple but you guys have this uh, warped theology where everything has to fit into your what you're comfortable with you grew up in this church and you had these uh, very safe ideas and anything that comes along that challenges your very safe ideas you guys don't know how to react to because it makes you uncomfortable just just try to think about the issue just just a little bit of thought would be nice understanding of historical orthodox theology these are difficult concepts nope to stand and agree on. I mean, how how do you follow? How do you follow the lead of a God who takes risks? That's easy. <laughs> we follow leads of people all the time who take risks, and sometimes risk takers are why we follow people, because that pe person take like generals, especially in war. A lot of these soldiers, the generals that they look up to and they idolize, are the people who take risks who fight alongside their troops. That's a big morale booster in war. Generals who take risks. Okay, so what? God takes risks. Oh no, now I'm going to become an atheist or I'm just going to hate God because he's a risk taker. Oh, my emotions are getting the best of my logic and I can't deal with risk. Oh. He's, they like make God sound like the kid your parents didn't want you to hang out with when yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly Yahweh. Don't hang out with Yahweh. He takes risks. We don't like risky kids. What? What? You were young. <laughs> he takes risks. He doesn't know the future. Oh, he doesn't know the future. Don't hang out with that kid. That kid doesn't know the future. What? What? Wow. Wow. The, the fifth one here, um, Tim Challies says, God learns. Oh, oh no. All right, this, this last one we're going to do. We're almost about an hour already into this. Oh, it's cringeworthy stuff by two complete tool bags. They don't know anything about open theism. They've never interacted with open theists. And they are literally reading an article and just regurgitating the points in the article. People could save themselves a lot of time. Just turn to that article and read the article directly without these two people with their, what, what have they contributed? What have they added to this article that they didn't write by a witness hostile to open theism? Turn to an open theist article, refute that open theist article. That should be your goal. I'll tell you what, if you, one of you guys are listening, please turn to my article on Exodus 32 it's a chapter in my book. I'll send you my book for free. I don't care. I'm not. In, I'm not. I didn't write my book to make money. Refute that. Uh, tr just try interacting. Try interacting. Because God does not know the future exhaustively. He learns just as we do. So God doesn't know everything. God is learning. Right. So essentially, what is creation? The school of God. That, that's 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 kind of the what it renders down to. And more emotional emoting, like oh, yeah, I don't like it. It's uh, God learns. Oh, learns? How dare he learn things? All right, six. God is all right. I, I, we're gonna stop there. Uh, maybe we'll have a follow up. This is like halfway through their part one. And so maybe they have two parts. Maybe we could do this like a four-part episode. But it's going to, seriously, it's going to have to be like constant mocking. Because these guys don't know what they're talking about. They're not interacting. They're building strawmen. And literally when I started this podcast, I called them tool bags. Maybe you could understand why I called them tool bags. Because these guys are. All right.
This has been God is Open. If you have any questions or comments, send it to godisopenquestions at gmail.com. You could criticize me. Oh, you are so mean, Chris. Uh, so mean. You mock these guys. Sometimes guys need a good mocking. So if these guys want to pull up my video and mock me, oh, I love it. I love it. Send me a response. Send me a response. All right. Thank you for listening.